Before we dive into episode three or four of Outlander of Lost Things with the hashtag Hellwater, can we talk about Terry Dresback for a minute? I have been paying very close attention to the Outlander costume Twitter account, and Terry is giving us, well, she's not giving us a lesson. She's not acting like a teacher. She's acting like a leader in great tradition of amazing TV shows like Mad Men and Breaking Bad. There's so much more to the Outlander costumes than just something that's pretty or something that fits the time frame. There's all these layers of story that go into the fabric, that go into the color choice, that go into the structure. And if you follow this Twitter account, she's got this active, engaging conversation going on. And so much of it is feminist and it's amazing to go back and forth with her even even when I thought something that she corrected me was totally wrong but the point is now we're watching so much more intently and honestly it's let's be honest we're watching these episodes of Outlander multiple times anyway and having this new um, layer to the story has made it so much more vibrant and so much more woven. It's which yeah, I guess that's kind of putting it into a clothing metaphor, but it is spectacular. And I have had the greatest time diving in with her this past week. And I really hope that it continues. So, Terry, please, please keep that going. And on Twitter, you can find me at Talk About Lander. Yeah, I did the little mashup, right? It's cute. I love to live tweet the show, and I love to see what everybody else is thinking, too. Now, last night's episode for me, it was very much about Jamie's skill as a chess player. Basically, the chess game that is his life. And yeah, it was kind of a heavy-handed metaphor with him and Lord John Gray playing chess. But that's absolutely part of the story as well. It just it took seeing them with the board And the interrupted game that I realized, oh, my gosh, Jamie has just been in this chess match for the better part of 10 years. And it also overlaps with how he's navigated his prisons when he was the Dunbonnet. It was a self-imposed exile. But he was the one that orchestrated his own capture. While it could have been to his danger, it was certainly for the safety, not just of his sister and Ian and the children, but also Lollybrock and the Fraser lands and making sure that the money went to Jenny. This was, again, this is a chess master at work. So he's putting the pieces in play and then he's at the prison where he emerges as the leader, the leader of the prisoners. And he's so good at playing his moves when it comes to meeting Lord John Gray and asking for things that he needs. He knows what he's going to do three steps ahead. He knew flat out when he asked for blankets and medicine for all the sick men, not a possibility, but he just wanted it for Murtaugh. He knew he is looking ahead in this game. And now in this next form of prison... He's playing it as smart as he can with the name Alexander McKenzie, uh, keeping his head down. But even the way he interacted with Lord Dunsany, I can't say that, guys. Dunsany, Dunsany, I can't say that name and it drives me crazy. Um, But even in his raw honesty, talking to him about the two children he's lost when they're talking about the son that was killed at Culloden, even saying many good men were lost to their families in the rebellion on both sides. Such a political thing to say because Jamie Jamie is not going to give up his roots as a proud Scot. He's not going to speak ill of his men, of his clan, of his heritage. But he's still going to play that game. And see, this is why 
Dougal was so afraid of him. It's the whole, hey, all the Mackenzies that would have been Team Jamie to make him Laird. Absolutely. This is why he would have been fantastic at that role. He's always playing that chess game. He's always got the political maneuvers happening there. And watching that unfold through the episode just shows you more and more about what a savvy guy Jamie is. Like he's just he's just that smart. And yet I'm not sure that he's always that, that people always give him that benefit of the doubt which he plays to his advantage. Now let's cut over to Claire. Let's cut over to the 20th century. And Claire and Bree and Roger are looking for Jamie. And oh my God, Claire finds his name on the manifest. And immediately, like, Roger wants to go get a drink. Like, Roger, can we have a little bit of, like, room to take this in? Let Let the air settle. We have found Jamie's name. This is incredible. Nope, he's off to drink whiskey. Which I understand because our boy has got no game when it comes to Brie. I mean, almost painful to watch. Like, I don't have a girlfriend. I mean, I've got girls that are friends. It's like dealing with a fifth grader. Their first kiss, we knew Brie was going to have to initiate it because Roger would have sat around for another two decades waiting for that to happen. But the kiss did indeed. While poor Claire is stuck reading through basically the first half of the episode. She's reading the manifesto. She's reading ship's log. She's reading a book when Joe calls. Like, can we not get this woman some better form of entertainment? Although I did lose all the tears from my eyes when the pearls showed back up. Ellen's pearls. Fiona, bless your little heart, knowing the right thing to do, knowing to give them to Claire. What kind of killed me, though, was I thought that Claire receiving those pearls was going to be uh, another omen, another sign that she was on the right journey, that she's on the right path to find Jamie. She'd seen the name come up through files. She's now got these pearls. And yet all of a sudden at the end, we get that twist where, no, she's done. She doesn't want to chase a ghost. But we're going to get to that because it parallels Jamie. So going back into Jamie's job as a groom and dealing with the evil Geneva, who is the absolute worst. I mean, even when he has to go out on that ride with her, look at Jamie's life. It was such a metaphor right there in that scene. He drew the long straw, and yet she still handed him the short straw because she called him out by name, and she wants him to come to her bed. Now, there's there's a bunch of people who... Uh, it's, it's not black and white. I get that there's a bunch of shades of gray, but to me... Geneva is a rapist. I understand there are arguments being made given her station, given her lot in life, given her gender. This was the only way she could seize her sexuality and actually be in charge of that part of her destiny. Yes. And while I am very pro the feminist angle, obviously, nope, it's still rape because he didn't come willing. So you blackmailed him. You threatened his family. You threatened Lolly Brock. Like, I still can't get on board. But in yet another display of his political prowess, he knew how to play that scene. He knew how to play her. He was gentle. He was instructional. He was clinical. I mean, yes, he he obviously was like into it, but not into it, if you know what I mean, because this still isn't what he wants. He wasn't going to be here unless she had commanded it, but he still knew how to play that situation and not show... So much unwillingness to be there that it was going to stoke her anger. Instead, he played her perfectly. 
Except we uh, we didn't talk about contraception. We didn't talk about any sort of method to maybe prevent a pregnancy. And that one look exchanged between the two of them when Geneva gets out of her carriage. We all know that baby bump is Jamie's. And Willie coming into the picture was just a whole emotional roller coaster, I think, for everybody watching the show. Because you finally got to see Jamie see a child of his. That this is his third child, and yet the the first two, Faith was buried, dead and buried, before he even got out of prison. And then obviously Bree is 200 years in the future. And so the idea of Willie, the idea of William... That he was willing to go in there and he, again, politically, peacefully tried to maneuver, give me the gun, give me the knife, ends up shooting Earlsmere, which is fine, Ellesmere. But getting to see him with Willie, getting to see him with that smile on his face. And then when Lady Dinsani offers him the opportunity to leave, that's where his political nature is stopped and the father, the emotion takes over that Jamie has literally given up freedom to be with his son. That was just such an emotional weight sitting heavy on my heart. It's it's yet again the theme. Even when Jamie wins, he loses. <laughs> but I guess in this case, the prize is he, he gets to watch his little boy grow up. And let's talk about Willie when he hits about seven years old. It's like Prince George cheeks. This is the most beautiful child I think I've ever seen. He is so adorable, and I absolutely love him. And he's just played perfectly. And the relationship between the two of them, when Lady Dantani says, hmm, he's starting to look like Jamie. <laughs> yeah, about that. Um, Yeah, I, I understand why he had to leave and how hard it was. And that's where you start getting the parallels with Claire. That these two are going through arguably the hardest part of the last 20 years because they both had hope. It was one thing to be the Dunbonnet and you think that, uh, you know, your wife is long gone. You're never going to see her again. You have no hope. It's one thing to be living in the 20th century with Frank and you think Jamie's dead. That, all right, I've got to go on. But then... Claire finds out Jamie's alive, but then Jamie's got a child. The worst thing for the two of them is hope, and then they both had to turn their backs on it. The The parallel between them was so moving and so striking that they both had to, they had to leave their heart's desires. In this case, it was Jamie leaving Willie because he looks too much like him, and Claire, it was deciding... <sighs> to go back to Boston because she didn't want to chase a ghost. No, Claire! Oh my God! Claire, no, you can't leave! You've got to stay there. It also kind of screwed up Bree's love life because now you've taken Jamie out, you've taken Claire out, but by Claire leaving, well, guess what? Bree's coming with her. So it was watching three people turn their back on love in order to keep going on with their lives, which was just a devastating feeling. Now, speaking of devastating... We have to talk about Jamie giving, I mean, just giving William the name William James, that he's he's giving him his name. He's giving him Sonny. He's giving him his brother Willie's same kind of carving. He made him his own. And then he offers himself up to Lord John Gray. Now, remember that Jamie offered himself up to Black Jack Randall because he wanted to protect Claire. Now he's offering himself up to protect William. 
it just goes back to the wedding vows, you know, the uh, blood of my blood, bone of my bone. And when you go back to the wedding episode and he says, and if necessary, the protection of my body as well. Jamie is, if nothing else, true to his word. He's true to his vows. And in that moment, offering himself up to this man who truly you can tell, loves him, cares about him, but also has come to, I think, want that friendship from him. Not necessarily. I mean, if, if Jamie was like suddenly to make a 180 and was all about it, let's be fair. Lord John Gray would be totally in. But I think to see that come up was such a great moment for their friendship that was sealed with Jamie putting his hand on John's. Remember when they were in the prison and John put his hand on Jamie's and that did not end well? This this was yet another full circle moment. See? I see what you're doing here, Outlander, and you're killing me. Could you rip my heart out anymore, Outlander? Could you? Oh, that's right. You can, because we have the previews for next week where Claire is asking, do you think Jamie will still want me? The vulnerability just in a preview has killed me because it's so raw. It's so real that that's that's every one of our worst fears, right? That this I felt something so great. I felt something so powerful. I've held on to it. What if it wasn't the same? Now, of course, we all know it's the same. And deep down, she knows it's the same. But it's just it's just Claire being a woman, being an older woman, being an aging woman and showing that vulnerability. I can't even explain to y'all. We have got to get to that print shop scene soon.